before we get into today's show, let's take a moment to talk about why we're here. Caleb and I like to use these table topic episodes to share some of the experience that we have gleaned from our many years of playing tabletop RPGs. We understand that the advice we give and the opinions we share may not be applicable at every table every time, but there is one piece of advice that we feel is pretty universal, and that's the motto of our show, if you're having fun, you're doing it right. So no matter what game you play, what system or edition, or what rules you use, don't use, or misuse, if you're having fun, then you're doing it right. And with that out of the way, on to the show. Welcome to Table Topics, the general advice and discussion podcast from the RPG Academy. I am Michael, and this is Table Topics number 86, Back to Basics. Tonight I have with me, as I always do, my favorite co-host and yours, the Caleb G. Caleb, how are you doing tonight, sir? Oh, I am doing very well, Michael. I am into my vacation. I have gotten a lot of work done for a catacon. I'm feeling very accomplished. I'm feeling very relaxed. And I'm sure that will all end in the immediate future. How are you? <laughs> it is funny how uh, my vacations now become podcast work. Like, I don't actually get a vacation anymore. When I have a vacation, it's just time to catch up on podcasts. Yeah, but this is the work we like to do. (laughs) That is true. That is absolutely true. Uh, As for myself, I'm actually doing very well from a personal standpoint. I I will share that I had some some issues there for a while, had some depression I was dealing with, and kind of finally got my head on straight. I'm back into my routines, started dieting again, started exercising again. Um, so as of right now, I'm probably about as good as I've been in six months. That's good to hear. That's very good to hear. Well, thank you. I, I do appreciate that. Um, from a podcast standpoint, we have some some cool and fun, awesome announcements. If you have not yet heard, if you don't know, uh, we started the RPG Academy Network uh, about a year, maybe a year and a half ago now, where we've kind of picked some uh, other shows and other sites that we think kind of share our vision of the hobby and are moving in the same direction that we are, and we want to work together with them. And we are excited to announce that we have added a new show. It's a fairly new show, but uh, we really liked what the hosts bring to the table. We think they, uh, again, they share our vision. Uh, And they're also, they're just super, super awesome people. And I love their theme song. Like, I seriously love when their show comes on. And that is She's a Super Geek podcast by Emily and Cinda, who... One of their Twitters is uh, the Crafty GM. The other is a name I can't pronounce, uh, but both of them will be linked in our show notes. So, uh, Emily, Cinda, thank you so much for agreeing to be part of our network. We are super excited to have you. And you know that you are officially part of it because Michael has attempted to and butchered one of your names. Emily? No. Okay. So, you started to attempt and you would have butchered it. I'm growing growing wise in my old age. I just I just knew there was no point <laughs> even going to that quagmire. I'll just stop at the uh, stop at the edge it, and just. It's still nope. it's still a rite of passage. I'm still going to count it. It still it still works. And just a quick note. Obviously, we love all of the shows and sites that are part of our network. They just happen to be the newest. So currently, we, we love them more. From a catacon news, 
as Caleb mentioned, uh, by the at the time that we're recording this, a catacon is just over two weeks away. Uh, not quite here yet, but most of the work has been done. At this point, we're down to single digits of people that I'm still trying to track down and get them to register. And uh, we have pretty much got everything printed that needs to be printed, except for one thing that Caleb's finishing up now. All the bags are put together. You, uh, part of the Kickstarter process, you had pledged to get a Halloween-themed adventure together, and you're putting the final touches on that uh, basically right before we started podcasting. So that should go out here in the next couple of days. So we're probably right on target, I would say. Oh, yeah, definitely. I am very pleased and surprised with how well things have been going for the past few weeks and months. I knew we had a really good plan and we had a good budget and a good schedule, but I always anticipate something not necessarily going wrong, but at least something unpredictable that we will have to adapt to. But everything has been really smooth so far. So I'm very happy for that, and I am terrified that this means the other shoe will drop at the lodge in what is now two weeks, but when people are listening to this might be in the past. So who knows? Maybe when you are listening to this, you are listening to the last evidence (laughs) of the RPG Academy. Who knows? Yeah, who knows? Uh, But with that out of the way, we'll kind of get into the show. But I do have one other uh, just topic I want to cover quickly. Uh, There's been some chatter recently on some of the uh, message groups that Caleb and I are part of because of us being podcasters. And essentially, it revolves around a website called RPGpodcast.com. If you're not familiar with this site, it is an aggregate service where if you have an RPG-related podcast, you can sign up and they will basically help distribute your show. Uh, apparently, there has been some lack of communication on their part, and some of the people who signed up for the service were not aware that they actually aggregate an RSS feed as well. So it's not like they are just uh, making your content readily available. They are actually they have a podcast. You can subscribe to it on iTunes as the RPGpodcast.com, and all of the shows that are part of that go into that feed. So you could basically sign up for them and get all of the content from all the shows that they host without ever actually going to that show's site or registering for them or subscribing. And there's quite a few people who have very high emotions both ways about this. And uh, the the concern overall is that, one, it wasn't clearly stated in their terms of service that this was happening. So it could be considered uh, a a violation of uh, protected content. Uh, But beyond that is if someone subscribes to that feed, that means they are not necessarily subscribing to the actual show. And for some of the podcasters that are frankly bigger than ours, who do get substantial amount of money from revenue from advertising and sponsorships, that could hurt them. They, they, they don't have as many numbers as they actually do, or they can't show they have those numbers. So from my standpoint, I don't really care. When we first went on that website, we got a lot of traffic from there, and I still get a, a substantial amount. So for me, it seems like it's doing what it's supposed to do. More people are finding our show. That makes me very happy. So the only thing I will say, I will ask if you are listening to our show through that feed, then just go ahead and subscribe to us separately. And that way we get to track the downloads and all's fair in love and war. So beyond that, I don't particularly have an opinion. Maybe it's my ignorance, but I don't really see this as big of a deal as some other people seem to. Do you have any thoughts on that, Caleb? Uh, no. 
I didn't even know this was a thing until Senda brought it up the other day. So I'm very much behind the facts of what's been going on here. Uh, I will also plead woeful ignorance to a lot of what we do in our chosen profession here. So I'm sorry that I don't have a good opinion, but I will go along with yours. That's why our relationship works. Yep. (laughs) Pretty much. Okay. So I'm pretty excited about this episode, I have to say. So the reason it's called Back to Basics is when we first started the podcast, Years and years and years ago, originally with Evan and I, the idea of the podcast was to talk about things that were actually happening at our table, which is where the name Table Topics came from. Originally, it was Dungeon Talk, but the idea has always been we were playing a game, and we would talk about things that happened in that game as a way to like kind of analyze them and use them as teaching tools for ourselves and for each other. And we've kind of gotten away from that. For a while, but we we've wanted to get back. There there have been some obstacles and hurdles that we are actively working toward. But the goal is to just talk about the games that we are actually playing, rather than trying to give just sort of like universal advice. Which I think we've had some pretty good shows of that anyway. But I want to talk about what what actually happened. So it's not theoretical. It's like this actually happened, good or bad, and let's talk about it. So. It's still going to be a little bit mixture because we're going to talk about a show that's not our own, uh, our own, but there were some things that happened that I just thought, wow, that's a that's something I need to talk about. Uh, so we are going to touch a little bit on our Wushu game that we just recently aired. Hopefully you've listened to that because I think it's fantastic. But we're also going to talk about a recent episode or two-part episode of the One Shot podcast. It was their 13th Age series, episode 115 and 116, I believe. Because uh, there's a couple things specifically that happened in those episodes that I I just think need to be called out and maybe analyzed a little bit. At least they stood out to me. So, Caleb, where would you like to start this conversation? Uh, I'm going to be selfish. Let's start with our own game. Let's start with Wushu. I have no problem with that. Because <laughs> I do think it was a, a really good show. I'm really happy with how it turned out. A couple of things that I wanted to talk about with that show specifically... As everyone knows, I think I'm funny, so I'll just get that out of the way. For better or worse, truth or fiction. For better or worse, I think I'm funny. And for my money, the best line in that whole series, and there were there were some that were just laugh out loud, but for my money, the best line was the one that I I had for when our our Uber driver uh, said he was tired, and I said, "Yeah, you do look exhausted." And if you've listened, you get that reference. If you haven't, then it makes no sense. But the point of that, what I want to talk about, is that that scene and that moment should never have happened unless or because of if we had not taken over narrative control from the GM. Uh, let, let me re- let's rephrase that here. That moment would not have happened unless at, we as players were sharing narrative control. That's what I said. Yes. <laughs> so what I mean by that and. The details are a little bit fuzzy to me, but we were trying to decide what we were going to do, uh, how we were going to go from one side of these islands to another. And we had gone down a line of of traction where we were going to ride the dinosaur, or we were going to ride the animatronic squirrels. And Scott came up with a little narrative bit that, hey, I'm just going to call up an Uber. And a lot of games saying you're going to pull out your cell phone and call an Uber isn't going to work. In that game, it actually made sense. Uh, And I want to give full credit to Andrew for just kind of rolling with it and saying, okay. And then on top of that, when uh, Andrew decided to make it a Back to the Future DeLorean, 
like that added to the scene, made it a little bit more wacky, but it, it felt it fit with the theme of time travel that we were already dealing with. And uh, Andrew had just kind of made like a joke where he said that the smoke was rolling and rolling and rolling out of the car, which was just a callback to the first Back to the Future movie when Einstein goes in the past for a minute that when they open the car door, you know, all the, the gas kind of comes out. But then Scott's like, he said something about basically, is that you, Dwayne? Make, it kind of made him a smoke monster. So we, we're, we've now collectively created a brand new situation. We've created a brand new scenario that would not have happened if A, we hadn't done that, and B, Andrew hadn't allowed us to do that. Okay, so what what Michael's getting at here <laughs> through all of the, the misremembering and, and rambling is that the events we're talking about were not scripted in any way. They did not exist on paper they were not pre-planned this wasn't a joke we wrote down and said hey let's make a joke about the delorean being driven by a smoke monster this was an organic piece of comedy that just evolved at the game and that is not anything new i will say 99% of jokes that happen in your game happen organically because just funny things happen and you come up with a quick witty response. However, the point that Michael's bringing up here is that it's very important to recognize the value of sharing narration and sharing storytelling elements. And here is a perfect example of how something would not have existed if it wasn't a shared moment. And we've talked on this show before, and I know you've probably heard it in a, in a hundred other, about the concept of yes and. And every time someone says that, I have a flashback to Arrested Development, where Tobias is at the methadone clinic, because he thinks it's an acting clinic, and he's talking, he's just standing next to a, a, a methadone addict, just going, yes and, yes and, yes and, because he doesn't understand what yes and actually means. That was a perfect example of a yes and moment because Scott said, I roll up Uber and Andrew's like, yes, and a DeLorean shows up rather than just, okay, a guy shows up. And uh, Scott then says, is that you, Dwayne? And Andrew's like, yes, and Dwayne is actually a smoke monster now. That is a real life example of what yes and actually means in a role playing game, not you can be a dinosaur, well, that's a bad example for this for this game, but you can be a dragon rider at level one because the DM's never supposed to say no to the players. Like, yes, and okay, yeah, you can be a dragon rider at level one. No, that that's okay to say no if that doesn't fit your theme of a game. Yes, and is when a character, or I should say a player, tries to create part of the world, you don't say no, you say yes, and more. Or in some cases, yes, but, so that you don't get exactly what you want and you can add to the drama. Absolutely. That is a way better point to make, I believe, uh, out of what this piece of a game is an example of. Really, everything in that Wushu game is a great example of both of these points, really demonstrating what the yes and principle means and seeing it in practice and seeing it successfully in practice and also the the benefits and the rewards of really truly sharing narrative control that that was the first time andrew ever played a game with us 
the the four of us have been playing together for quite a few years now and i think we know how to play a game with each other we know each other's cues we know each other's pauses we know each other's pacing when it comes to role playing and humor and even serious moments so the four of us have a really good idea of how to bounce ideas off of each other and whether we're doing it on purpose or whether it's just instinctual i think we know how to feed each other ideas i think there's a lot of times where i can say something that i know matt is going to take and run with or where scott says something that he knows you are going to make a dumb pun off of just to play with it so we've developed that as players and kudos to andrew for not only letting us get away with all those shenanigans but also stepping up to bat and being right there on pace with all of us he was quicker and faster than the rest of us to keep up with all of our stupid jokes and tangents and actually wrap everything back into the game canon so we might be being boastful but the wushu games are first off really funny uh they're some of the best episodes i think we've put out in a long time for humor and great actual play content but they're a really useful example of the yes and principle and of cooperatively telling a really good story and uh completely agree with that i know we uh we definitely gave andrew some praise when we did the wushu recap so we don't necessarily need to rehash that again but it's all true he was an amazing gm but i actually want to turn the tables now and and sort of give an example of where it went poorly and that actually happened in a different game. This was the episode one of the Soth game that we played with um, Emily and Cinda in their show, She's a Super Geek. So if you guys haven't listened to that yet, you should. Uh, what I'm going to say isn't really a big spoiler, so if you haven't, it's, it's okay. But you, you should listen to that episode. It's pretty awesome as well. But there was a moment where my character was supposed to get something and your character, or you as a player, had added a detail that the thing I was supposed to get was purple and sparkly. And my initial reaction, I said no. And I could l visibly see you react when I said no. And I caught myself. I'm like, oh, shit, I'm not supposed to say no. So I'm like, oh, yeah, yeah, you're right. It is. But it's still, even as quickly as I recovered, if you listen to it, that's a weird moment in that episode because I didn't just go yes and and go yeah it's purpley sparkly and that actually became a thing the purple sparkly totally took on a life of its own and had i not retracted that never would have happened that is a good example but i don't think i i don't i did not blame you at any point for that because i think you were still trying to cling on to the vestiges of the point of that game which was to be <laughs> a little bit more of a serious tone a little bit darker and scarier uh i i think it was senda and i that were just off the rails already so i'm going to say you were trying to to rein us back in and maybe provide some more real world gaming moments but you then also made that snap judgment, oh, wait a minute, me going off the rails, me going back to the rails is really going off the rails of where we are now. Let me just readjust myself. So that points to, I think, your skill as a player to recognize what you were doing in the moment. So it wasn't quite top of mind enough, but like a good example, what I, what I should have done, I mean, obviously I retracted, but that still feels weird 
is let's say I did want to try to keep it serious and I just didn't want it to be purple and sparkly. I could have said, well, yeah, I go to get with the purple sparkly ones, but we're all out. So I, I can't, I have to, I'm forced to get something else. Cause then at least I'm continuing the narration. I'm not, I'm not invalidating your choice, but I'm steering in a direction I want to go, which I still think isn't what you want, but that would have been better than me saying no. I think it was covered pretty well. Cause if you listen to the episode, it's really quick. I'm like, no, yes. Uh, but I still, I, when I listen to it, I'm like, oh my God, I'm such an asshole. I mean, I, I always am, but in that moment, I was definitely an asshole. Well, I, I think the point that we're getting at here is when you are making a decision in a game like this, the decisions should add to the story, not take away from the story. So if you need to remove an element, whether it's a sparkly jump rope or whatever, you need to be able to do that by not just saying, no, this doesn't exist. You say, it doesn't exist because of this reason. That reason is adding another level to the story. You're adding another detail. You're replacing the thing you're taking out with a reason why you took it out, and you're going on from that point. Uh, if we go back to the Wushu game, if Scott had said, oh, I just grabbed my cell phone and call Uber, and Andrew said, no, there's no cell phones. You can't do that. That game would have just stopped dead in its effing tracks. Right. That that silence that I was purposefully leaving there that you stepped on would have actually happened in the game. and As you do. Right. And we would have just had to stop for a second, figure out what we were doing, and say, oh, okay, so we can't call an Uber car, hail a taxi. Now, that wouldn't have happened. Andrew would not have done that. Uh, it certainly wouldn't have fit the game, and he's way too skilled a GM to, to let that kind of thing happen. But as you can see, going back to our original example, if you just take out an element of the game, you can see how a later development of the game would not have happened. Since a couple days ago, it was Back to the Future Day, when you go back in time and change something, there's a ripple effect. So, going back in time, if we had taken out that random moment of yes-anding, the ripple would have happened, and that joke that we all were just talking about would not have existed. I concur. It's heavy, man. It's heavy. It's heavy. And, oh, by the way, Einstein went into the future, not the past. Oh, that's right. He went a minute in the future, because then we caught up with him. Yep. Yep, that's why. Uh, it's, it's been, you know, like... 30 years since I watched that movie. You know, I, I watched them on Back to the Future Day in a marathon in a theater. So, all right, boom. Fine. Be that way. I will. So to wrap that back around, I'll, I'll do your job. I'll try to sum up. When we talk about yes, Andy, in a game, that is what we are talking about, is you have a shared vision of this world. And unless you're playing in the real world, like you're playing modern day and it's like modern day with zombies or it's modern day, but your characters have to happen to be super spies, then no one has a true solid idea of what this world is. You know, OK, we're playing in a, a pseudo European medieval fantasy world that has magic. Well, is this a pseudo medieval European world that has magic that has magical trains or is that something that just doesn't make sense to you? Until we've defined that, we're all kind of, we kind of have a vision in our mind what that world is. And so when we say something, we don't know if it's something that exists in that world. And the yes and principle is when you say it, it does become part of the world. 
And I know we've referenced it a couple times going back to our very first trial with, with Jessa on Dungeon World that we've talked several times about that time she said no when Matt tried to turn into a specific animal, which all thought was kind of a weird moment. You know, again, not to pick on her as a, as a GM, but that was one of those weird moments where it, it just stopped the game and we didn't quite understand why. Like, why, why was it such a big deal? But because we didn't have the same vision of the world she did. And I'm fine with that. The DM is a final arbiter of what is and isn't in the world. But when, especially when you're doing like a one shot that's supposed to be fun and you don't really have to worry about canon where three weeks from now I have to worry about the fact that you can pull a dragon out of your pocket. But in the moment it was a funny bit, so I went with it. There's almost no reason not to say yes, allow that shared creation to become canon, and then just move the story forward. Yes. And let's go on to the next topic. <laughs> Fantastic. Uh, so for the next couple things I want to call out uh, was from the, the one-shot episodes we talked about earlier. Uh, there was a couple moments in particular that really stood out to me uh, from like a technical standpoint. Now, we like James and Kat. We are certainly friendly with them. Uh, I don't know if we are close enough to be friends, but we are certainly friendly. They are coming to a catacomb. We went up and visited them in Chicago. Uh, we did the L5R game. We're going to do a part two. So hopefully they don't mind me analyzing their game, especially because it's all positive because it's pretty freaking awesome stuff. But the things that stood out to me that I wanted to call out in episode 115 uh, of their one shot, they were playing 13th Age. And one of the characters, I think it was Condor, who was played by Curtis. Caleb's my fact checker here. Make sure I got those names and stuff correct. 99% positive. That's right. Woohoo! That's better than normal. Because you know, as we say, we're 100% <laughs> right 90% of the time. So there was a, he, his character had, a, had a, a, a thing where he carried a rock in his pocket that was apparently a deity, or he thought it was. And he licked the stone as way of like his offering. Now, like, that's what he had to do to appease his God, and every day he got like a boon from it. And the point of that that I wanted to talk about, uh, which, which we'll wrap around, is I've said before that I'm, I'm okay with characters having secrets from other characters, but I don't like it when players have secrets from other players. And that is, in my mind, a great example of that at play because everyone at the table saw that character have a moment with that rock where he interacted with it, they talked, he licked it, and then he put it back in his pocket. So the characters did not know that that happened, but the players did. And the reason I think that's important is it allowed what I think is the best joke in that whole series to happen, much like my exhausted example earlier, that could not have happened had they all not been aware of that. So essentially what happens, and again, spoilers if you haven't listened to those episodes, I'm sorry. Part of his boon of, of worshiping this deity is he gets an animal companion every day that he can ride. So they're about to set off on a journey, and he now has a pig with a saddle on it. And Kat's character, Spridge, uh, shows up and basically says, oh, did you buy a pig? And he, he responds, oh, I paid for it. And I've seen that set up in that delivery, you know, hundreds of times in other movies and such. But it was great delivery, and it was a perfect situation in that, or perfect uh, resolution in that situation that had cat not saw what happened there's no way she could have set that up for him just to slam it home with his great line do you have any thoughts on that Caleb I think you're right this is a, a good example of that intersection between player knowledge and character knowledge uh, I think this is another good example of 
collectively telling a story. Uh, I think this is a great example that speaks to the skill of everyone on the one shot podcast, all of their regular players, since they have such a strong comedy and improv background. This type of thing is always evident and always coming out. So, yes, that was a, a terrific example. I still will fall on the side of things where I think player secrets do still have their place in some games, in some situations. But we've talked about that before, and that isn't really what we're talking about tonight. I, I think that there's a very interesting line to tread between character knowledge and player knowledge. And this was a good example of how bleeding over that line provided a very entertaining point. And again, there are no absolutes. I'm not saying that you should never have a game without player secrets. But for me, I prefer character secrets, not players. I'm sure there's examples where it worked beautifully and everyone at the table had a had a great moment and it would never have happened otherwise. But for me, majority of the time, I'm, I'm against it. And I think that there is at least one example of how a game could be enhanced in that situation. But I want to give Kat specific credit because, again, I'm, this goes back to their theater background and their, their improv training. But when the characters met back up, she said specifically, oh, did you buy a pig? Because if she did not use that specific word, buy a pig, then he could not have come back with the following line, oh, I paid for it. If she just said, where did you get that pig? Oh, I didn't know you had a pig. Neither one of those sets him up for that line delivery. And it, that joke never happens. So take from that what you will. Like most of us aren't year, year and year, year trained improvisers who, who have that skill. So don't feel bad that if you can't do that. But that's to me something that you look toward going, that's what I want to be able to do. I want to be able to set people up using very specific word choices so that they can then come back and just slam that home with a great one-liner or a tag on a joke. Yes. I, I don't, and? I, I, <laughs> I, yeah, you're absolutely right. I, and I think we've hit that point home pretty easily. That's pretty much all I got. Okay. So why don't we try to keep this train rolling and not end the show at 30 minutes? A couple episodes ago, we talked about what I am now calling a skill combat. Uh, I think time will tell if this if this name holds true or not. But we we've talked about converting a monster into an environmental challenge or a trap. And when we had the conversation on air, we said quite a few times, we are only just theorizing this. We haven't tried it. We haven't tested it out. And according to my resources and informants, you actually did try this out in one of your games, Michael. That is correct. Uh, I actually um, delayed releasing that episode on the patron feed because I wanted to try some of the things we talked about in the game that I run with some of our patrons, the uh, the. Uh, affectionately known Dark Hearts crew. And uh, so I didn't want them to have a chance to listen to it before it happened. So what I did is I did use the Beholder Trap uh, or Beholder as a Trap Room. And then I also used our sort of combination uh, Dragon as a Lightning Storm slash Fight the Big Bad Guy in a Vortex as the climatic end to that game uh, with what I will say was mixed results. 
Okay, so let's start with the Beholder Trap Room. I'm, I'm going to guess that because we both came up with the idea of you walk into a room and there's things that shoot you and you try to disarm them, that's basically exactly what happened. Yes. So they walked into a circular room. Uh, there was a, uh, a Man of Steel slash Fortress of Solitude from the Donner Superman console in the middle of the room that uh, was an abstract puzzle. As I said, so I didn't create a puzzle where they actually had to put things in a certain order. Basically, there were multiple colored crystals, and it was just an abstraction where the rolls got them into the correct pattern. There wasn't like a Sudoku puzzle they could actually solve. And uh, once they initiated that, the laser beam started firing at them from the different circles on the wall until they completed the challenge. So I will say mechanically, I was actually very happy with how that played out. I thought it worked about as well as I could have hoped. The issue was with my screw-up is they didn't know what was going on, but one of the characters cast a detect magic spell. They were doing the ritual detect magic and just trying to increase the drama. Right as one of the characters touched the console to activate the trap, the detect magic fired, and he said, do I see anything magical? And I said, yes, the walls and the console are magical. And... The reason that screwed things up is because the center of the room was actually supposed to be an anti-magic field to represent the beholder having an anti-magic aura. So the wizard cast Ledman's tiny hut and negated the entire room. So they were able to sit there and work on the crystal all day and none of the beams were able to fire through the room. And so me not wanting to be a prick and taking their agency away, I said, yeah, that works. You spend some time, you solve the puzzle, and you're able to move on. So had I described it properly and not given them that particular avenue to defeat the puzzle, I think it would have felt better at the table. They felt smart, and they were. They basically completely bypassed my puzzle. So they felt powerful and rewarded, and they felt accomplished. But from my standpoint, I felt disappointed that I wasn't able to make the trap feel like I wanted it to because I misdescribed it, and I didn't want to reverse it and go no that doesn't work because even though it shouldn't have worked it would have felt like a dick move to do that at the at, once it happened i was like oh yeah that shouldn't have worked but i didn't want to be that dm at that moment okay well that is definitely an honest assessment of what happened yeah i i guess so i i guess we can say that we are partially successful in testing this concept uh you you presented the room you presented the trigger and the elements that we were going for. It's just that due to a little bit of a misstep in remembering the core elements of what we were trying to evoke with co converting a monster into a trap, that really did alter the situation. However, I, I think you made the right move. Uh, I think that... A quick retcon saying, oh, oh, no, I'm sorry. I was wrong. This is what really happens. I don't think that would have been bad because it would have been quick. It would not have been like you'd been playing for half an hour and then you suddenly had to undo everything that just happened. And I think the game still would have progressed smoothly. However, it also would have been that moment of, oh, he's taking away a successful thing we did. 
And you're absolutely right. When a player thinks of a creative way to use a spell or an ability to dodge around or avoid an environmental situation, that should be recognized and rewarded. So, and unfortunately now at this point, that that group will have listened to this episode and they'll know what was really happening. So you can't try it again. <laughs> uh, no, at least not with that group, though. I still think that there is a lot of value in the monster as a trap process because I think, again, mechanically, I think it would have worked very well. I do think the skill track where you had to get a certain number above, and again, I just kind of made up a number. I don't have any mathematics behind it if it was balanced or not, but it, it worked. It felt right that when they rolled really high, I told them, oh, you've, you've progressed very far. You've, you've got four of the colors right. There's now, you can kind of see the pattern. You're really close to getting done. You know, one, one or two more rounds and you'll be there. Had there been laser beams firing at them, that would have been a dramatic moment. Because of what happened, it was just sort of a perfunctory, okay, roll two more times and you're there. Uh, so I think mechanically it actually worked very well. And, and I absolutely will give free license to the players, Shane, Jason, Melissa, and Scott, to weigh in on the comments to agree or disagree. We, we did talk on Twitter a little bit afterwards uh, about how it played out, but absolutely I would like, you know, I would value your honest opinions on what, now that you've had a few days to think about it, what you thought about that experience. Okay, cool. Uh, now going back into the theoretical side of this here, how do you think it would have played out if you had given them, if you had told the story properly? And it had been an anti-magic field. And instead of having them make a bunch of skill checks, you actually gave them a physical puzzle to solve. But you were still also having them dodge laser beams. So you basically would have said, hey, on your turn, you get to try to move one or two pieces, and then you have to react to the lasers that are firing around. Now, obviously, I know you play online, so that wouldn't have actually happened. But if we're guessing here, how do you guess that might have worked. I think the bigger thought here or the bigger idea, and this is something I know we've covered multiple times, is that when you present a puzzle in an RPG, there's two types of puzzles. There's the puzzle that's for the player, and then there's a puzzle that's for the character. And when it's for the character, my method is to use those abstract puzzles. Like I, It doesn't matter what it is. It's basically a skill challenge, and, and you can flavor it however you want it. I flavored it as multicolored crystals being put into receptacles in a certain pattern because it fit the situation, but it, it was meaningless. An actual puzzle that the players are presented with is a lot different because you're not challenging the characters, you're challenging the players. And in my experience, one of two things happen. One of them solves it almost immediately because either they've seen it before or they just are skilled at that, or they will never solve it no matter how long they take unless you give them hints or you let them use Google. So for me, I prefer the abstract method because at least it's fairly linear and it's controllable, where if it's a player challenge, it's very dicey. Hmm, see what I did there? Depending on, on the players and what you've come up with. So I think it would have been worse than the abstract puzzle. Gotcha. Okay. Well, that is definitely good to think about as we're talking about trying this kind of thing in people's home games. So let's go on to the second part of this discussion. You said you you said you use the dragon as a storm idea while the PCs were battling a villain. 
Uh, yeah, this was the sort of the climax to that game. And much like the, the first part, the, the, the Beholder Broom, I think mechanically it worked really well. Like I was really happy with, with how that made the encounter feel. Just like before, the, the failure wasn't the mechanical uh, uh, mechanics of what we came up with. It was my delivery. Uh, in, in how I presented some of the other things that were happening. And again, this being the climax, there were several moving pieces that I was trying to bring together to make this just very epic feeling encounter where there were civilian NPCs that were also in danger. Uh, there was the main fight with the main bad guy. The storm was brewing. But from the standpoint of the lightning attacking random characters, the debris blowing and, and hitting them, like we talked about with the, like the claw attacks, I thought that worked really, really well. The part that felt a little bit weird to me was the idea of the main bad guy fighting the paladin in the vortex. It was very cool imagery, and I'm very happy with how it, in my mind it looked. The problem was I felt that the setup was a little bit weak, and I basically just had to say that that happened. Like, I didn't have enough ability to say that, you know, the storm was moving closer. I didn't, I didn't give the player a chance to make a decision in character that put them in the situation that then caused them to get sucked up. I basically said, you get sucked up by the vortex, you're now fighting the bad guy in the vortex, and you're spinning around. So I got the imagery I wanted, but it felt kind of wishy-washy as like the, yeah, it happens, like, it just felt like I dictated too much and didn't, again, characters didn't have agency. They didn't put themselves in that danger. I just put them there because I wanted that moment. Uh, the moment was pretty nice, but I think with a proper setup, it would have had that truly epic feeling I was after. So let me ask you this. The storm elements that we're discussing here, did you bring that in as simply a natural storm that was occurring or was it related to the bad guy they were fighting somehow? It was related to the bad guy they were fighting. And this was just, this is a, a side topic, but obviously the players didn't do what I was expecting them to do. And uh, essentially the setup was that I thought they would go to where the bad guy was, sneak around for a little while and like do some reconnaissance. And that was going to be me setting up how bad things were. So I would have had time to build the storm. Like, you know, like when I first described the scene, the storm was already present, but it was pretty natural, pretty normal. And I was going to just like over time, ramp it up, ramp it up. They decided to just jump right in front of him and just start attacking him. So then I'm like, okay, the storm gets worse. Uh, you know, so I was just like scrambling and trying to make it make sense. And I think, again, I just, I don't think I did a very good job of adding the drama. And that's why it felt artificial. Okay, well, again, that's a good assessment of what happened in your own skill. I think what we can pull out of that, probably a couple different topics. Um, first off is using this idea we talked about. Again, this is an untested idea. This is the first time we're, we're talking about it in reality, and it didn't go 100%. What we're saying, though, is that it probably wasn't the mechanical side of things. It was more the narration side of things. And there's no way to fix that 100%. That's just based on the game itself, and you can never predict that kind of thing. What I would say here is this was me being attached to my darlings, the, the, the storm especially, not necessarily the beholder, that what I should have done is like what Andrew did and just kind of rolled with it and been like, you know what? I wanted this moment, 
but this is not the right moment. I should have just let it go. I should have let something else happen that felt more natural and then just kept in my back pocket for another game, another time to unleash that epic moment. But I didn't want to. I wanted that moment in this game and I, I forced it in there and that's why it didn't feel right. Okay, so let me ask you a question. And I think I already know the answer to this. Blueberry. No. Okay, so I'm wrong. When you were preparing this game, you, uh, let me put this as an actual question. Did you sit down and write out, think about, outline, at least have a vague idea of what you wanted to see happen? The PCs would progress. There'd be a storm. They'd explore. There'd be a fight. Yes. Okay. So I don't want to say that's the problem because I don't think it's a problem, but that's the foundation of this difficulty. That's the root cause. Yeah, I feel free. I mean, it, it's absolutely correct. I, I went into that game wanting to do those two things. Like, I, again, that's why I didn't release the episode because I knew I was going to do them in that next game. I didn't want to spoil it. So I was going to make those go in that game whether they fit or not. And, you know, I've always said you can't predict what players will do. You have to be ready for that. But I've also played with them for a while, so I thought I had a pretty good idea of what they would do, and they surprised me. Which is always good. I think as a GM, if your game is so predictable that you know how events are going to happen and what choices your players are going to make, that can lead to things getting boring and stagnant, and that's how a game can fall apart. So being able to say, yeah, I was totally surprised by what happened even after playing with someone for a few years is a good problem to have. But the the core problem we're discussing here is that you made a choice as a GM that served your own purpose and not necessarily facilitated the story. Now, I'm not saying you made the wrong choice. I'm not saying you ruined the game or slammed on the brakes and halted all momentum and progress. But as you said, the events fell a little flat. It was very obvious that you were kind of shoehorning this concept in. So the question becomes, when this situation arises, do you try to think of a more creative way to make the idea happen? Or do you just kill it off, let the adventure go the way it is, and try to bring it back later? I think you could do either dependent on your skill level and, you know, what else you have in your back pocket, what else you have to go with. Because for me, the, the part that felt the most flat was because I decided that one of the characters got sucked into the vortex. If I had had the, the forethought, because I've thought about it since then, obviously, I've, I've been like rehashing it over and over again. The best possible outcome that I can foresee is that the the bad guy was going to use the vortex to get away. And one of the characters would have knowingly put themselves in danger to chase after them. That would have given them agency. They would have decided to go into a situation that then put them in the vortex that would have allowed the same fight that happened and all the cool imagery of them rotating and clashing swords and magic as they were going past each other and all that cool stuff that was happening the biggest difference is that I dictated that it happened rather than one of them having sort of a heroic moment going, no, I'm not going to let you get away. I'm going to put my life at risk to stop you. 
that is the only difference. Mechanically, it worked out almost exactly the same, but that is the key difference I missed. I didn't set up the situation properly to allow them to make the choice that caused it to happen. I, I screwed up cause and effect. Gotcha. That makes sense. I, I think you could have also, in a split second, simply had every PC make some sort of save or check at the start of their turn or get drawn into the storm or be affected by the storm. Really, it depends on what your end goal was. So if your end goal was just to cause trouble, if your end goal was for this element to be an escape route, if your end goal was for this element to be a weapon, that would impact your spur-of-the-moment choice of how to rework what you're trying to do. And maybe the problem was not that you were throwing it in when it shouldn't have been there, but that you should have changed what your goal with this element was. Maybe when you realized, oh, crap, I'm putting the storm in here, it really doesn't fit. Okay, now it's a weapon, and and it becomes just a thing that exists that the bad guy is using, and you reassess its existence at that point. Unfortunately, we're at that point of the discussion where we are just theorizing ideas because we don't really know what else to say right now. Ultimately, it's good that you recognized a fault. If you had walked away from that game saying, wow, that was awesome, that did exactly what I wanted to do, but the reality was still the same reality we're discussing, that would have a a more negative impact on your players and your skill as a GM. And I do want to just quickly say to those guys, because I'd kind of thrown out a couple of tweets after the game about how I felt that a couple of situations fell a little flat, and I, I'm not sure if they took it the way I meant. Any failings in that game were my fault. Like, I don't think they did anything wrong, and I don't think they did anything that, that caused it to not feel right. That was me not properly setting up the situation. So I just want to make sure they understand that I'm not faulting them for it not going the way I wanted it to. I fault completely 100% myself for not setting up the situation properly for the desired effect. Well, that, that's good to make clear, and I'm sure those guys understand. Do you think this could have been a moment where you called an, uh, called an audible, asked for a mulligan, asked for a quick retcon in the game? I mean, we've talked about how you don't really want to do that. We've talked about how you want to keep the momentum going, and you want to add instead of take away. But in this situation, do you think you could have said, hey, guys, let me just stop for a second this isn't working the way I want it to. I want to let you take the story the way you want it to go. Let's just redo this scene quickly. Or let me just throw this thing out the window. That doesn't exist. It's going the way you've told me it's going. Action. Do you think you could have pulled that off? I could have, but I don't like doing that. For me, the best situation, the best decision I could have made is once once they made the decision that they were going to do the frontal assault, which was not what I anticipated, I should have taken a time out and just been like, okay, I wasn't ready for that. Give me five minutes. And then giving me time to go, okay, I still want the vortex. I still want that. But I, I don't have time to ramp it up like I wanted. How is this going to change things? Because, you know, I would, again, I was just trying my best to stay in front of them. And, and I would give myself like a C plus, B minus. It wasn't terrible, but it wasn't epic like I wanted it to be either. So that would have been a perfect opportunity to be like, I need five minutes or even to say I need a bathroom break and lie and then go take a five minute break and just not tell them why. There you go. That, there you go. That's always a good solution. And I think that's the solution we forget 
a lot of the times. We are playing a game. We always want to evoke the movie principles, the TV principles. Let's ramp up to that climax, get to that third act, carry over all that momentum and emotion. But we're not movie directors. This isn't a final product that is cut together and we're sitting here watching. We are creating it collectively as a group in the moment. And if that is falling apart a little bit and based on your skill and self-awareness, you realize something is not happening the way I feel it should be happening or the table is not reacting the way I think they should react, either fix in real time if you're skilled enough to do that or take a break. I, I think it's better to pause and get back into it then end the game and say, sorry, guys, that was kind of shitty. I, I would agree. So uh, hopefully they had fun. I, I think they did. Uh, it was one of my first attempts at actually having somewhat of a resolution where it wasn't just a campaign that died at some point. Like they actually had a bad guy that they eventually got to fight, uh, though we did leave a couple pretty large threads left unpulled uh, for potential sequels in the future. Uh, but overall, again, I think it was a fun game, and and the goal is to make that into a podcast. Like we actually have been recording these episodes, and uh, now that they're all done, I'm going to go back through and try to edit them, and it may be something that's like a patron only thing. I haven't decided yet. Uh, so there's a chance you guys will at some point will get to listen to it, and uh, and maybe see if it feels the same to you as it did to me, or I might do some editing to make it sound awesome, because you know that's what I do. The power of a podcaster is. <laughs> It's a terrible thing. The power! Well, okay, so how about this? In real time, a catacon is about two weeks away. So it's going to be a crazy, hectic weekend. A lot of stuff is going to be happening. But I think those of you who are going to be there with us, maybe this is the kind of thing that we need to keep an eye out for. And most likely, people will be hearing this episode after a catacon. So let's take a gamble here. If this sort of thing happened at a catacon, let's talk about it. Throw it in the forums, throw it on the Facebook page or G Plus or whatever. Maybe we'll do an email chain or a survey or something and say, hey, what, talking about what you liked about a catacon, what you didn't like about a catacon, asking for general feedback. But Maybe you remembered a moment where you used a, a skill combat like this for a challenge. Uh, maybe there was a moment where you were able to readdress something that wasn't happening the right way. So if anything we've been talking about tonight can be further gone into with a real example from a catacon, let's talk about it. Let's bring that up. I think if we even talk about a catacon for three or four podcast episodes after the fact, as long as we're bringing up new information and using new examples, that will be a real good way of tying everything together. No, absolutely. And um, and I guess my last piece of advice here is I probably do it too much, but I think it's very important to reflect on games and try to figure out what, what went well. When you see your players are excited and they're, they're into the story and they're hanging on all your descriptions, why? What are you doing that is that is working? And when you see that they have leaned back, they're shuffling through the books, they're on their uh, their phones or or whatever, they're having side conversations. What changed? What's different? Uh, when you try to have that epic moment and it doesn't quite go the way you want, why? That self-analyzation 
will help you become a better GM as much as anything, any information that we can provide. Which is, again, the goal of these originally table topics was that we were going to do that on our own games, and then you could learn through our analysis. So hopefully this episode has been insightful and enlightening to you, that it is what we want to continue to do episode after episode. Uh, We do have some actual play series that are going to be starting up again soon. At least we're playing them. You may not hear them for a while. And so we should be able to start doing this pretty regularly. Any final words from you, Caleb, on this topic before we move on? Uh, No, I think we've covered everything really well. I think we have left the door open for some great impact from our listeners on the forums and our social media. And I don't think any topic is ever really closed here on the RPG Academy podcast, but we have definitely put out some good information this evening. I think so as well. So unfortunately, we do not have any new iTunes reviews to read this episode. We would like to change that. So we just ask that if you are listening to us on iTunes or on Stitcher Radio, that you please take the opportunity to leave us a review. It is certainly helpful to us to find a larger and new audience. Uh, For those of you who are listening, as always, we thank you for that. Uh, And then lastly, we would like for you to check out our Patreon campaign. If uh, that is something that you would be interested in doing, the Patreon allows you guys to give us uh, a bit of a donation for what we do here and to allow us to do bigger and better things, uh, which we have some plans for the future. So uh, for me, that is all I have to say. Caleb? Uh, Yep, that sounds good to me. All right, so this has been Michael and Caleb, and we will see you next time. Thanks for listening to the RPG Academy podcast, the flagship program of the RPG Academy network. If you enjoy what we do here, then please check out the RPGacademy.com and visit our site partners for additional entertainment and gaming advice. We do this out of love for the hobby and for you, our fans. The podcast and site content will always be free for you to enjoy and utilize, but we do have expenses related to the show. If you'd like to help out in any way, please visit patreon.com slash Academy and check out the rewards we are providing for your monthly pledges. We use all funds that come in to improve the show and give you better content and quality. And if you don't have the coin to spend, don't worry. You can still help us out in many ways. You can subscribe to our show on iTunes and or Stitcher Radio. You can leave us a five-star review. Also, if you clear your cookies and you visit Amazon or the DriveThruRPG site through our portal, we get a small percentage of what you pay, and it doesn't cost you anything extra. Just like any RPG, our site works best with open lines of communication. We love talking with our listeners about everything. Please contact us with any questions, concerns, and comments that you have. We also love to hear feedback and experiences from your own games. You can email us via podcast at therpgacademy.com and reach us on social media such as Facebook and Google Plus at The RPG Academy. But Twitter is usually the fastest way to reach us. You can find my favorite co-host, The Caleb G, at The Caleb G. And you can find my favorite co-host, Michael, at The RPG Academy. Thanks for listening. And as always, if you're having fun, you're doing it right.